This episode is brought to you by RememberingAlife.com. Remembering the lives of people we love begins with sharing stories about the moments that meant the most to us. Whether we hold a meaningful funeral or memorial service, create a beautiful piece of art in their memory, or acknowledge special days like birthdays and anniversaries, capturing and honoring special memories helps us keep our loved ones close. Visit RememberingAlife.com for more ideas and inspiration. Welcome to the August 2022 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. I'm Lisa Louise Cook. Our featured interview in this episode is with Todd Lucero Sales, who's going to introduce us to Filipino research. And then in our new Family History Home segment, Lisa also is here to help you get organized by helping you figure out which genealogy materials to keep and which to toss. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this episode is sponsored by RememberingAlife.com, and Gail Marquardt of the National Funeral Directors Association will stop by to tell us more about that. In our best websites for genealogy segment, we're actually featuring one of the best genealogy software programs that happens to also have a great website, and that's Roots Magic. And then we'll wrap things up at the editor's desk with Andrew Cook, the editor of Family Tree Magazine, to take a closer look at the latest issue. As always, we've got a lot to cover, so let's get to it. First up is Tree Talk. Family Tree Magazine's social media editor, Rachel Christian, has her pulse on what's trending in the world of genealogy, and she's here now to talk about it. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. I love kicking off every episode with what's new in the world of genealogy. Uh, what's been catching your eye recently? Yeah, so... Last week, and I say last week from the time of this recording, Ancestry released a chromosome painter, um, which is a first for Ancestry. And basically what it is, for those who don't know, is a tool that lets you see where the ethnicities in your ethnicity estimate show up in your chromosomes. So the way it looks is you see all of your chromosomes laid out and your chromosomes are color-coded according to what ethnicity they correspond to. And you can also toggle in between um, parent one view and parent two view to see which parent contributed each of those color-coded segments. So pretty cool. Other companies offer chromosome painters, but it's the first time Ancestry's done it. So definitely worth a look. It doesn't seem as if it's been released to everybody, at least not at this time. We asked our followers on social, and some people had it in their account, others didn't. But I imagine it's just a, they're rolling it out maybe slowly to kind of troubleshoot issues that pop up. But if you do see it in your account, you definitely should take a look. Other than being just kind of interesting, um, just kind of cool to look at, it can help your research, and here's an example of how. Basically, you can compare your chromosome painter with your DNA matches chromosome painters and see, you know, which of your parents contributed which um, ethnicities to which chromosomes. And that can kind of give you hints as to who your most recent common ancestor might be. So that's one way that you could use it um, in your research, but it's also just fun to click around and look at. 
of course, you know, like anything with DNA, expect that it will change, you know, as um, updates happen. But all in all, a pretty, pretty cool tool. Yeah, very cool. I know it's something I think that uh, folks who follow DNA have been wanting for some time. So mm-hmm. now they're going to have it at Ancestry. And and like you said, uh, if I guess if they don't see it today, they should check in the coming weeks, because I imagine it takes a while to roll it out to all of their users and yeah. apply it to all the different uh, results out there. Fascinating. All right. Thank you so much, Rachel. We'll talk to you next month. Sounds good. Thanks, Lisa. In our online article, Philippines Genealogy Guide, How to Trace Your Filipino Roots, author Todd Lucero Sales guides us through the process of Filipino genealogy research, and he's here right now to help us get started. Welcome to the show, Todd. Hi, uh, thank you for having me. This is a terrific article, so many great ideas and strategies. You really help guide folks through how to get involved and, and kind of, you know, what the interest in Filipino genealogy is. Uh, before we kind of jump into some of the ideas that you share, tell us a little bit about how big is the interest in the Philippines and how much interest is there here in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Well, believe it or not, in my more than 20 years of doing genealogy, I've had more Filipino-Americans uh, asking me to do their family histories or asking me questions about genealogy in the Philippines compared to Filipinos uh, here in the Philippines uh, showing interest in doing their family history. But uh, as I've already mentioned briefly in the article that I wrote, um, genealogy, while not really something that's uh, big in the Philippines as a hobby, family is a big thing in the Philippines. And when you ask any Filipino here, they more or less can tell you the names of up to their great-grandparents and all the stories about relatives, whether it's good or bad, they would know it. So it's kind of that uh, it's kind of that picture if you're talking about Filipino genealogy. But as a hobby, uh, as an interest, uh, unfortunately, it's not really that big for now here in the Philippines. Right. And as you said, I, I know it's such, it's just so embedded in the culture. Family yeah. is just so important, which is wonderful. And it's wonderful to see American Filipinos looking for that heritage and reconnecting if, if for any reason they've, you know, uh, lost touch with it at all. And you've got some great strategies for them here in the article. In, in this article, you say that while the rules in tracing Filipino family trees are the same as any other there are three important caveats that an amateur genealogist would really need to be aware of. What are they? Yes, thank you for asking that, Lisa. Well, um, first and foremost, what many researchers into Filipino family history should know is there is unfortunately no centralized database for family history research for Filipino families. Um, Of course, there are... uh, online resources like Family Search, but if you really want to look into records in the Philippines, you will still have to do it the old-fashioned way, like manually. So that's one thing that more or less makes first-time researchers into Filipino family history get discouraged because they start thinking that they could just you know, key in a few words or the names of their ancestors online, and it will magically give them the names of all their family members in a family tree. Well, that's a myth. 
So that's one thing that people should should first uh, know of. Second, while surname history research is quite common in the West and, and in America, it's not applicable in the Philippines. A lot of Filipino historians and genealogists would always try to, of course, try to look into their surnames first, and then only finding out that it isn't even their original surname. Um, there was a law in 1849 that directed almost all Filipino families to adopt a formal family name, because prior to that, uh, family name usage in the Philippines was not uh, official and was not formalized. So after 1849, a lot of Filipino families, about 75% of families today, adopted family names that they still use until this very day. So that would mean if an amateur genealogist would do a surname research, they would find out that their surname only started in 1849 or thereabouts. So that's the second caveat. And the third one is that, unfortunately, in 2012, there was a new law that was enacted in the Philippines called the Data Privacy Act. And because of the vagueness of the law, even old church records that were made free by family search online are no longer accessible because of questions about the privacy aspects of the information that one could get from those records. So that is why if you try to access records from the Philippines in family search, you would get a restricted uh, access kind of warning because we cannot, as of now, uh, access records from the Philippines unless you are a member of the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So those are the three important caveats for those people who are still uh, thinking about doing family history research for their Filipino family. You can get a lot of records, but it, it mostly has to be manual search. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't want to do that. Right. You know, you mentioned about the online records at Family Search, and I I'm, I'm just want to clarify, if you go into the Family History Library, let's say it's Salt Lake City, so you're in their facility using their computers, could you access it that way if you were not a member of the church, or do you have to be an LDS member of the church? Oh, um, as far as I know, I know some researchers who, who still go to, to uh, LDS, Family History Centers, and uh, I'm not sure if they access the online records, but I know that they access the microfilm records. I myself have ah. used the microfilm records in the Family History Center in the Temple in Kazan City, uh, which is in our capital. But um, I haven't been there for more than five years now. But I know that some people are able to do that in the Philippines. And I'm pretty sure in the U.S., for instance, it's, I think it's okay to do it on site. Uh, what's not allowed is uh, making the records available online. Yes, makes sense. Good to know. My gosh, that really is good to know. It could save a lot of frustration if we're yeah. looking for something that isn't available. Um, so where do you recommend, particularly for somebody who's here in the U.S. and they want to start researching their family, what do you recommend the path they follow? 
Well, the good thing about Family Search, again, I'm not trying to, to advertise about Family Search, but it is the most helpful online resource for uh, amateur genealogists, or actually all types of genealogists, even professional yes. genealogists use Family Search. Well, for Family Search, they have indexed a lot of Filipino records. Um, old church records and even civil records from the Philippines. And while there is not much information there, and I do have to warn those using it to be uh, a little careful because a lot of the spellings are not always accurate because, uh, as you may know, volunteers are doing the indexing. So not all of those who are indexing are familiar with the surnames for each town that they're encoding, but it is a good start. I have tried doing it just using family search for a certain family tree, and I was able to get a lot of information, although it will be a little bit challenging, I guess is the right word, if you want to go further or if you want to connect one record to another. But it's a good start. But it will really go down to doing it the hard way, either visiting the church where your family is from here in the Philippines, and I know that's a very big challenge for those who are there in the States or elsewhere outside the Philippines. Or they can do what a lot of my clients who are from the States have done and hired me or other researchers here in the Philippines to do it for them. Right, because you're right there on site and then you could go yes. and, and pull records and things. That's Terrific. Good. I'm kind of curious, you know, you, we know that we were talking about that in the Philippines, you know, family is just so important. It. Beyond the general genealogy websites with traditional records, if we got out there and started Googling, would we be very likely to find perhaps websites that individual people or families have put together kind of honoring their families and and sharing some of the history that they know? Is that something we might be looking for? Oh, yes. Yes. And that's because, as as you've already uh, mentioned, Filipinos are very into families. Our, Our Uh, Filipinos are big on families, and that's why majority of the genealogy sites or the family history sites that you will find are on specific families. So um, you can type a family name, and it's it's always best to type the family name and then also type where the family is from. Because, again, it goes back to the 1849 surname decree. You will have people bearing the same surname from north to south in the Philippines who have no blood relation at all. And simply because there were only 60,000 plus family names that were listed on this catalog of family names that were distributed all over the Philippines. So you will have families from different places in the Philippines choosing from only that 60,000 list, 60,000 family names. And so it's always best when you search online for your family name and you want to know if there are websites that are, are dedicated to that family, then you have to also include the town where your family is from to separate it from the other uh, similar family names that do not bear any relation to yours. Oh, that's a great strategy. And would you say, would genealogy be the right word? Or what might families in the Philippines be using? Would they be saying more about family history? What would they be saying on their websites? Most Filipinos are not familiar with the term genealogy. I I did Uh a 
uh, an informal survey about that, and only about 30 to 40% of Filipinos, when I asked them, knew what genealogy is. And in fact, I think I made that clear in the in the article. A lot even thought that genealogy was that you know branch of science that deals with feminine parts and it's kind of funny but it's 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 a common misconception here because again the term is not popular or common but if you want to search the best term to use is family tree not family history even but family tree is the best additional term that you can use Terrific. Oh, gosh, you're just a wealth of information on this topic. We so appreciate it. And uh, the article is terrific. It's in the September October issue uh, from 2022 of Family Tree magazine. And of course, there's the online article as well. Yes, I know it's, it's coming out here very soon. And we'll have a link on our show notes page for everybody listening who can uh, click through and also check out your article online. Uh, Todd, it's just been wonderful having you here. Tell folks how they can get in touch with you if they want more information. Yes, um, they can visit my, I have a website. It's filipinogenealogy.com. They may also check out my YouTube channel. Uh, It's the Filipino Genealogy channel. It is the only Filipino Genealogy channel on YouTube, so you won't really miss it uh, if you search for <laughs> Filipino genealogy in YouTube. So I, I can be reached either uh, of those, the website and the YouTube channel. Fantastic. Todd Lucero Sales, thank you so much for joining us here today on the podcast. You're very welcome, Lisa. And I, it, it has been an honor and a privilege to be a guest on your show. In our best websites for genealogy segment, we're going to go a little bit outside the box, and we're not really going to be talking necessarily about a website specifically, but we're going to be talking about one of the best software programs for your genealogy, and it happens to have a great website too. It's Roots Magic. Here to uh, give us the latest on Roots Magic and Roots Magic 8, which is the newest version, is the developer and the CEO of Roots Magic, Bruce Busby. Hi, Bruce. Howdy. We're talking about the software, and I I do want to talk about your website, too, because I think it's terrific. But let's start at the beginning a little bit, which is one of the questions I get a lot, and maybe you do, too, is um, how is having your genealogy on a software database like Roots Magic different or preferable to just having it on an online family tree? Well, yeah, yeah, we get we get asked that a lot. You know, well, why should I why should I do this? You know, when I can keep my you know data on ancestry or family search or my heritage, whatever. You know, and the biggest thing is having your data on your computer on your own computer. You have complete control of that. Um, you know, you don't have to be connected to the internet in order to access your data. Um, you don't have to worry about somebody else maybe coming in there and changing your data. You know, some some of the some of the places you can put your data are global trees, and uh, you know, other people can go in and change your information. Um, some of them are not global. You know, you do have your own tree, but you know, you have to pay so much per year to do that. And if you stop paying, all of a sudden you've kind of lost some of that control over your over your data. Whereas if you have it on your own computer. You know, the pictures you have, the scanned documents you have, um, you know, all of those things are, are on your computer. You can make backups of them so they're safe there. The other advantage, you know, to having it on your own computer is just a peace of mind. 
you know, that that if if that website, you know, has problems or goes down or something happens, I've still got my own copy. So I don't have to worry about that. Um, another advantage of having your data on your own computer is the fact that there are things you can do in a desktop program that there's just not computational power to do on a website. You know, like doing massive like merges and large generating large reports. Those are things that if your data is up on a website, the only way you can get all of the data, for example, for your whole database in a report is to have it download all of that data into a report or have the website actually have the computational power to generate that report and then send you that report you know, over, over the internet. And you know, both of those are very difficult to do, you know, transporting that data back and forth or being able to generate enough computational power for each individual user. You know, if you have thousands or millions of, of users using that, you can't, as a website, you can't dedicate that much power to each one of those users. Whereas on your own personal computer, that computer is 100% working on your on what you're doing. That's a great point. I mean, I'm a huge advocate of, of having kind of what I call it my master family tree in my software on my computer for all the security reasons you mentioned. But you also talked about, which I think is so important, is that ability to slice and dice and have so many layers of data that we can analyze. And I think as many ways as we can look at our data, all the better so that we can learn more from it. Yeah. When did Roots Magic begin? I, I feel like it's been out there forever. Well, Roots Magic, the actual Roots Magic program, we released it in 2003, I'm pretty sure it was. I actually had written a program called Family Origins before that, which was kind of the predecessor to it. And, and it was sold through another company. I did all the development and everything, and they did the sales and marketing and everything on it. And that, that Family Origins, we released that in about 1991. So we went about 10 years as Family Origins and probably about almost about 20 years as Roots Magic now. That's amazing. And it's gone through many different versions. Of course, the most recent release was Roots Magic 8. Tell us about that. When did that come out? And what are what are we getting now? Yeah, Roots Magic 8 came out last October. And we actually last January, not this past January, but the January before that, uh, we released a kind of a public community preview. And so we went, we did about 10 months of just letting users pound on it and complain about it and give us, you know, give us opinions. You should change this. You, you know, this doesn't work right or this, I like this or I don't like that. You know, and so we were able to use a lot of that information to, you know, over those 10 months, but we released it in October. It, it's by far our biggest update. It was a total rewrite. We basically started from scratch because there were a lot of things in the earlier Roots Magics that could really bog you down. You go into Roots Magic, into the older versions of Roots Magic, and you'd be looking at a screen with people. And if you wanted to see your places, you'd have to pop up a screen to see the places. If you wanted to see your sources, you'd have to pop up a separate screen to see your sources. And so you go into these multiple levels of depth, you know, screen after screen after screen to get to things. And then when you were ready to get back to your people, you'd have to, you know, 
close, 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 close to get back to that. And so that was one of the things that we really wanted to do uh, and, to, and to fix with version eight. And so in version eight, one of the big things is just kind of the overall, the overall workflow to doing things. So instead of, instead of always being on a person's screen and then hopping to sources or hopping to places or hopping to tasks or hopping to something else and then going into that and then when you're done backing out and then if, to go to something else, you have to go back, you know, do that. Um, what we did is we actually created multiple views in the program. So there's the person view you can look at and you can be looking at any person and if you want to see the places you just change your view to the place view it's not a separate pop-up window it's a just it's an actual view you can switch to it and switch right back and you can switch from a person from the person view to a place view switch directly from that to source view directly to a task view or the address view and you can switch between these views without having to always come back to that person view and, and so it speeds up getting things done. You're not having to go look at your people and say, I, I need to do this, do, do, do it. And then, okay, now I need to look at something else. So back out and go back into this other thing and then back out and go back. You just switch between these views. And the great thing about these views is since they're not a pop-up, whatever you're looking at on that view stays on that view. So if I go in and I'm looking at the places and I select a particular place and I see all the information about it, if I think, oh, I wanted to look at a source, I can switch to the sources. I can look at that any source. And when I switch back to that place view, I'm still working with the same place as I was before. I'm not having to go, you know, back into a place pop-up and then search for that place again to get back to where I was. So it just, it basically keeps in its memory a lot more things so you're not having to search over and over for that same thing. You know, you're, when you're on it, you're on it. One of the things that we mentioned at the top of this interview was the website. And you're talking about, you know, learning the ins and outs of a new program. Tell folks a little bit about the website, because I just think you guys have always been on the forefront of providing support and education for being able to use your program to its fullest capability. Yeah, I mean, from the website, you can access basically everything we have. When you go to the website, down in the bottom corner, there's a thing, you know, if you want to chat with our with our tech support. So if you need tech support, you just go there and you click and you can chat with tech support and, you know, they can answer questions, they can help you out. Um, we also have a wiki. Um, what we've done is we kind of moved away from the online help that you, you know, like in the past you'd have your help. Well, we now have a wiki. And so, you know, it's just wiki.rootsmagic.com, but you can link to it from this, the regular website. But it's nice because it's, it's much better than help for several reasons. One, we can keep it updated, you know, it, whereas the help on your computer, you know, if we change something or add something, you don't know about it unless we remembered to update the help file and, and the next update had that. Whereas now, you know, as soon as we add something, we can stick it on the wiki and you can go. The other thing that's nice about the wiki is that, you know, we can put videos in there. We can put more graphics. We can put links to, you know, to other topics right within that. So everything you could possibly want to know about how to use Roots Magic is there in the wiki. Um, we have tutorial videos. We have, it's a YouTube channel. 
and um, you can get to there from that. And we have a bunch of YouTube videos on how to use the program. We have webinars that we do. Uh, we've been slacking a little bit the last few months, and we haven't had a webinar. We need to we need to get back on that. But all of our webinars that we've had and we've recorded, they're available up there to watch as well. We have an online community, a message board, um, very active, and that's that's accessible from there. We have, of course, we have our blog, you know, which we we. <laughs> That's another one of those things we, you know, we get behind, but, you know, we have blog articles on, on all kinds of things to help. Uh, and, and then we have our email newsletter. That's kind of where we notify people when there's updates or, you know, if there's, you know, if there's things we need to contact them about. Uh, we do that mainly through our uh, email newsletter. So all of those things are available right, right from the website. It's a very, we redid the website at, at the same time as we released Roots Magic 8. The old website was was kind of clunky. It wasn't responsive, you know. So like if you had a if you had a cell phone, you, you know, and you were watching, trying to watch it from your, or view the website from your phone, you had to scroll back and forth a lot and stuff. It didn't automatically nicely squeeze in and fit and, and adapt to your, your phone. And it does that now. Terrific. Well, gosh, there's lots new at Roots Magic. So we've got Roots Magic 8 and the new website, all the resources. Bruce, thank you so much for stopping by and giving us all the latest. It's been terrific talking with you. Well, thanks. That's been great. As you hear at the top of the show, this episode is sponsored by RememberingAlife.com. And here to tell us more about it is Gail Marquardt. She is the Vice President of Consumer Engagement for the National Funeral Directors Association. Welcome back to the podcast, Gail. Hi, Lisa. It's great to be back today. Thank you so much. Well, Gail, I noticed over at RememberingAlife.com that you have planning in advance in the uh, search menu here and some great resources there. Tell us about that. Yeah, planning in advance is one of those things that I definitely encourage people to do. And planning in advance can be very low-key or it can be very specific, um, including prepaying. But pre-planning does not necessarily mean that you have to prepay. One of the great things about pre-planning is that when you plan in advance, you can have conversations with your loved ones about what matters to them. You can speak to the person who you're planning for about what their wishes are, and you can also have a discussion about what your wishes are as well as someone who will experience the funeral themselves. Often people are very concerned about meeting the wishes of the person who has died, and that's really important, but it's also really important to think about what the surviving people might need to help them move forward in their grief. Having that discussion is incredibly important because so often it happens that people will say, well, dad just wanted to be cremated with no service, so we're not gonna do anything. Um, And then later on, they find out that that has actually complicated their grief. So having that conversation in advance and saying, you know what, Dad, it'd be really important to me to have a gathering of people who would be there to share stories about you and to mourn with me. That would be really important. And more often than not, the individual say, you know, that's a really good point. This isn't just all about me. 
So that's a really important aspect of, of pre-planning. And we have tools out on the website that help people get started, explain the whole process of pre-planning. If people do want to prepay, the advantages of that, there are some advantages. Um, and talking about what kind of service you'd like too. There are so many options now um, for services that don't have to be what we might call traditional. You can do so many things to creatively remember a loved one. Um, so being aware of all of your options for services is incredibly important. And the website, Remembering a Life, helps take some of that guesswork out, particularly um, in advance of something that could be a very stressful situation. There's so much to draw from here at rememberingalife.com. Gail, always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you, Lisa. It doesn't take long for genealogy materials to kind of pile up when you're actively researching. So how do you know and how do you decide what you're going to keep and what you're going to toss? Well, Lisa also is here to help us figure this out. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me back. Gosh, you're so brave to take this topic on. And it's hard. I mean, tossing stuff can be really difficult and it's kind of even emotional too, isn't it? It is very hard, and I speak from personal experience because I'm doing this right now. And it, yeah, it's it's a task, but you can do it. Well, I know in your your new article, it's called "Keep or Toss." This is going to appear in the September October 2022 issue of Family Tree Magazine. Uh, you you take this head on, and you've got some steps for folks to kind of walk through that will help guide them. Uh, tell us. What's the uh, the process? What are your steps that you have here for us? Right. So the uh, steps are first you got you have to sort and separate. You have to be able to evaluate what you have and then I recommend setting aside, you know, on your table or your desk or the floor or wherever you can areas so and then maybe have some file boxes or some something something to put the stuff in, but you mark keep donate and toss. And then you have sort of a place for the things to go. And then after that, you want to evaluate what you have. And so the truth is, we can't keep everything. And so, you know, my thing is, you don't want your treasures to end up, you know, at a flea market or for auction on eBay. So it's best for you to decide what to do with your treasures and your genealogy. And so, you know, I just kind of take people through the steps of evaluating this. For example, is the item irreplaceable? Uh, if it's a, a book or uh, some sort of paper, uh, is, is there a digital version available? Then you have to think about who will inherit your treasures or your genealogy. And that will dictate what you do next. Uh, Also, is there a practical value, you know, monetary value, and then a sentimental value. So all of these are a little different and personal. So it's not a one size fits all. And then the last step is then you, you know, think about how to curate. So whatever it is that you're keeping, you know, how are you going to safely and appropriately store it? Uh, You know, whatever you're saving. And then the things that you don't want, are you going to donate them? 
where they're going to be donated or that you're going to give them to family members. Maybe items like jewelry or fabric can be repurposed into another keepsake, uh, for example, a quilt or some other type of keepsake. Or if you're going to donate, then you want to find places or people that will take care of the items that that you hold of value. And so if you have family members, that's great. If you don't, maybe uh, check with places like the Allen County Public Library, uh, you know, for genealogy materials, uh, maybe a local history museum in your area or your ancestors hometown. And then they all have websites and they usually have sections for uh, you know, where to, you know, how to donate, what to donate, what they accept, etc. Boy, that's a, a terrific process. It kind of breaks it all down for us. I know you go into great detail in the article. I, I totally agree. I think Allen County is a, a wonderful place to look to, to donate to. They're, they're one, very receptive. And two, they're like the second largest genealogy library or center in the nation. So there's a good chance that even well after we're gone, uh, our descendants who might be looking for family information would look there, right? That's correct. And I also found another, for me, I found that specialty museums, uh, for example, I mentioned the Heinz History Center in in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is my hometown. Um, Also, the American Historical Society of Germans from Russia in Lincoln, Nebraska, they have uh, specific things uh, that you can, you know, donate or what they're looking for and what they take. And so those are things that are more of a, you know, a personal value, because it holds sort of your ethnic identity or your locality where your ancestors settled or lived. So those are really good places to check with as well. You bet. And I liked your idea about, is it digitized and online? I mean, people like you and me who've been at this a long time, we started on paper, right? And it's funny how digital just kind of took over. We just started downloading all the records we're finding. But a lot of people are still saddled with a lot of paper, Any other thoughts about going through some of those old pedigree charts and records and things we made copies of? Do you you lean towards check and see if they're digitized? Maybe we can toss that paper. I always do that. Yes. Uh, Also, you know, again, is it irreplaceable? Is it, you know, it depends what it is. And so, uh, you know, you you just have to find the best way to organize it and how much you want to keep. And of course, if you're going to digitize items yourself or... You know, and I also recommend if you find something online that you want to save it and back it up, you know, on your external hard drive and in the cloud so that you have access to it, but it's not cluttering your desk or your file cabinet, uh, you know, just um, in the event that, say, a website where you found a piece of information takes down the record or it goes away or something like that, you still have a digitally printed, like a PDF version of that document so that you can refer back to it. So again, it really, that's where the evaluating comes in and, and what is it and where else can you find it? Can you find it in a library? Can you find it in an online resource? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I was thinking about shelf space. I have so many books and compiled family histories and a lot of old books and stuff, and not all of them am I going to want to keep forever. But I've been finding that many of them are digitized 
Google Books, Internet Archive, and I can download that PDF. And I'm with you. I think we can't rely on that that link is going to work forever. We, we should download it when we can. And certainly digital files take a lot less space than than paper and physical items. Something else I saw that you had in the article was some checklists. Everybody loves a really good checklist. Uh, what have you got for folks in this article as far as checklists? Well, there's a couple of good ones. There's a sorting list. So, you know, there's there's a list of items, things you'll want to sort, like photos and clothing and jewelry. Maybe you have yearbooks, postcards. You know, so you kind of sort through those and, you know, group likes together. And, or, you know, if you want to do them by family, you know, however you're you feel most comfortable organizing. And then we have a wonderful uh, keep or toss checklist. So things that you you may wish to keep, you know, like uh, personal handwritten notes or family narratives or something that that's uh, personal to your family. Then we have kind of like skim and toss. So, you know, like old newsletters or, for example, I found a box of my grandparents' uh, electric and gas bills going back many, many years, like in the 1940s. And so I'll, you know, I, I would sort them. I keep, I keep uh, a couple representative ones, but I don't need hundreds of them. <laughs> so it gives me a snapshot of that time period and, and, you know, what their household was like, but I don't need to keep all of them. So those are the kind of things that you want to skim and then, you know, maybe shred or toss the other ones. You know, of course, you want to be careful with any personal information. And then, uh, you know, things that are just, you know, kind of random that you might have picked up, you know, like travel brochures, or again, newspaper and magazine clippings that may not have anything to do with your family, or maybe you can find them online. So those are some of the checklists that we have. We also have tips on basic tips on some photo scanning tips and um, some digital decluttering tips as well. Well, the article is called Keep or Toss, and uh, let Lisa also help you through this process. Like we've been talking about, there's a step-by-step process in the article along with the checklist, and you can do it. It's in the September-October issue 2022 of Family Tree Magazine. Always great to talk to you. Thank you so much, Lisa, for motivating us to get organized. Thank you, Lisa. Before we wrap up this August episode, uh, let's stop by the editor's desk and check in with the editor of Family Tree Magazine, Andrew Cook. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Lisa. Hey, what can we look forward to in the upcoming issues of Family Tree Magazine? Well, we heard earlier in this episode from the authors of a couple articles on what to keep and what to toss in your family history files, and also on Filipino genealogy. But in addition to those great articles, we also have um, an article on different sources for determining your specific ancestral hometown, which is really important for overseas research, as well as a guide to finding school records in your books online. Oh, I love it. I love the, uh, the sources for ancestral hometowns. I always think that's fun to, to see the history of those places and learn more about how they would have lived. Yeah, and some records that you would have probably not thought to check, <laughs> too, which yeah. is always helpful, I think. And the issue also includes our cemetery research cheat sheet, just in time for Halloween. And that eight-page guide includes our popular tombstone iconography guide, which is a really great at-a-glance resource that you can bring with you into a cemetery and decipher what those different icons mean on your your ancestor's tombstone. 
Oh, how neat. And that's the, the, the pop-out kind of cheat sheet in the middle of the magazine, right? Yep. And it folds up real nicely, too. It's eight pages, but um, it really just folds up into one page, which makes it very easy to take out of the issue and, and bring with you. And you guys have some new website articles as well, don't you? Yeah, we do. Uh, two that I'm particularly excited about. The first is on understanding Prussian locations. Um, obviously, Prussia is no longer a country today. So if you see that listed as an ancestral birthplace or a place of origin, you might be kind of scratching your head. What is that? What does that mean? We've got an article that talks a little bit about the history of Prussia and different resources that you can use to find those place names. And the other article we have is um, on a really interesting way to use your research, and that's to gain dual citizenship in your ancestor's country of origin. Since a lot of um, countries, and this article looks at Europe in particular, are opening up their citizenship laws. Oh, how interesting. You know, I was really excited to see the Prussian article because uh, my great-grandparents were from East Prussia. And you're right. Mm -hmm. I mean, those borders were changing and all the names. So that was a huge help. Well, fantastic. Um, We're going to have links in our show notes so people can get their hands on the upcoming September, October physical issue of the magazine. And then also to some of these terrific articles over on the website. You've always got good stuff for us. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this August 2022 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. As always, I'll have links for you in the show notes uh, on our website for everything that we talked about today. And you can find the show notes at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. If you're listening through one of the podcast apps like Apple or Google Podcasts, uh, we would so appreciate if you could do us a big favor leave a a great five-star review on the show. That kind of helps other genealogists find the show, and we really appreciate that. Thanks again for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and you can check out my Lisa's Picks column in every issue of Family Tree Magazine, and visit me on my website, Genealogy Gems, where you'll find the Genealogy Gems podcast and a link over to our Genealogy Gems YouTube channel. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.